You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm chapter 12. Here's what it says. To the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord to us uh, this morning. I want to pray over God's word and and then preach. Father, uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you for the privilege, the honor that we have to Come together to hear from your word, to study your word, uh, to praise, to proclaim you publicly. Um, Lord, in this um, very, what appears to be very dark, trying, difficult time for us as a nation and even across the world, God, we would beg you to come and speak to us. Whatever season and chapter of life each of us is in as we walked in here, God, we pray that your spirit would be free to move in our midst. We pray, God, that our hearts would be open to hear from you. We pray, Lord God, that you would take um, me in my preaching over the next few moments, a sinful, a wretched man that I really am deep down inside, and that you would purify uh, the words of my mouth and the motivations of my heart, that you would use them to uh, do good to your people and bring honor to your name. Trust you to do this work among us. God, we pray, God, that you would make Jesus famous among us. That you would lead us to uh, the shadow of that bloody cross. To sit in the doorway of that empty tomb. To hold on to and be encouraged by and find hope and rest in the promise that we have of heaven. We trust you to do that work and more. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And so Psalm uh, chapter 12, man, you read it, and uh, it's a really dark chapter, isn't it? You you read Psalm 12, and you don't go, man, I feel light and fluffy. Um, (laughs) You kind of feel heavy. I mean, this is the thing about the Psalms, right? I mean, the crazy thing is that the Psalms mostly uh, were sung, word for word. Even even the, the part that says to the choir master, right? Even those parts were even sun in um, Israel's gatherings throughout the years. So Psalm 12, man, dark chapter, gritty, it's raw. Um, I think when you read it at first, it almost feels a little bit repulsive. See, David, uh, in this psalm, he is, um, 
He's either on the run from King Saul. Think about who King Saul was. He was a man, King Saul was a man that David uh, looked to as a father figure for many uh, years. And then King Saul began to hunt him down because he was jealous of David. Began to spread lies about him and deception. Um, so it's either he's running from King Saul or, or he's running from his son Absalom, um, which would, to me would be just as devastating, whether it's a father figure or your son. Well, there was a season where he's running from Absalom because Absalom is attempting to overthrow uh, King David, to, uh, uh, attempting to throw him off his throne because of a, a really long, dark past. Now, if you know anything about David's family, David's family was an absolute wreck. I mean, there, there are no heroes in the Bible except for Jesus. Um, all the men and women in Scripture uh, have epic moral failures. Um, all the way through, you got murderers, you got liars. David was a sex addict. That'd probably be the way to put it for, for David. It's really the issue with him. Um, and he, as violent as David was, he also um, chickened out when it came to disciplining his children well. Had a son that uh, raped one of his daughters. He never did a thing about it. Absalom was ticked about that down the road. It's part of what led to that overthrow. Absalom was the one who um, exacted vengeance, if I remember the story right, and then um, cares for his sister for years um, to heal after her rape. So uh, David's not a perfect man, and yet Jesus says that David's a man after God's own heart, and we see that especially um, in the Psalms. And so now you get some of that backstory, and you just you look at David and you just go, man, this is a man who's... Family was an absolute wreck, whether it's his father figure, Saul, who was hunting him, or whether it was Absalom, his son, who was hunting him during this time. doesn't matter. Because um, either way, the sense of Psalm 12 is that it's super dark, right? Uh, David feels all alone. You get that sense as you read it. When he, the world around him that he sees, it's full of wickedness. It's full of evil, full of vile things. David is crying out to God in this psalm. First words, save me. Save me. It's, it's, a, it's a proclamation. It's, it's a desire. It's a, it's a concern for being saved. Save me. He's asking for salvation in the midst of utter wickedness. You and I have got to know what this feels like in some sense, don't we? Look around us in the world today to see the wickedness, to see the evil, to see the darkness, to see the brokenness that seems to be prevailing and even pressing in hard on every side, whether it's from the outside or even if you just stop and you quit looking outside and you look in. As I was singing that song with you guys this morning, the, the second song, As the Deer, it's one of my favorite oldest hymns of all time, is singing that song and, and recognizing the, the contrasting, crushing humbling, humiliating balance between hey, you're my friend and you're my brother even though you're my king and you're my savior. Think about that and to think about the utter sin, darkness, evil, wickedness inside of each every one of us that caused Jesus to be sent to the cross. That's, that's the picture. So we may see all of that wickedness and evil outside of us in the world, but if you pause, you may see it inside of you. What do you see inside of you? 
that caused Jesus to go to the cross, that you've been asking Jesus to sanctify, to change, to transform inside of you lately. See, it's easy to relate to David when he says in verses 1-2 through two that the godly one is gone, right? That uh, the faithful have vanished. That everyone, I mean, these, these are massive words. These, everyone, not just, hey, there's a few people in town that utter lies, they're liars, they're deceived. Everyone, he says, utters lies to his neighbor. Faithful have vanished. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips, and double heart they speak. So you don't have to look very far. You don't have to look very far to witness this in the day and age that we're living in. People, um, scores of people, who believe, as David says in verse 4, that with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. We, we, who, who is master over the, us? Right? You don't have to look very far to see people uh, who place all of their trust in their own deceptive words. A political specter might be a place you might see a lot of that right now. How do you know what's true right now when you look into the political world? How do you know? It's not hard to look around us and see that like David in verse 8, that we are surrounded on every side by the wicked who prowl. This is a, a picture of a predator, right? A predator who's ready to pounce. They prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Don't we see that? That everything that is wicked and vile and dirty and ugly and bad and dishonoring to God and disruptive to a nation and destructive to a society, that, that, that kind of vileness, all of that is what's being exalted in the times that we live in today. Not that this is the first time, right? This has been happening since the garden. The audacity, the pride, the, the arrogance, the wickedness, the utter pervasiveness of evil. It's on display in this chapter, right? And it's absolutely gut-wrenching. It reminds me of the feeling that I get whenever I turn on a news feed, whether that be a social media news feed or on my TV. How often have you recently witnessed the craziness of the world that we're living in and felt your heart inside of you break? Felt your heart inside of you move? Cry out to God for justice, for what is right to happen rather than what is wrong. For things to be made right, for for wicked people, for vile people to get what they deserve. This is what David does in verse 3, isn't it? In verse 3, when he says, Hey, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. David longs for justice to prevail, right? He, he longs for the wicked to get what is due to them. I was talking about this while uh, Chris and I were away this last week. We got the opportunity to meet with Jim and Laura Hayes, one of the church planners that we support, longtime brother, great friend. Um, since it was a pastor and wise retreat for our network that we were with, they happened to be in the same area. Long story short, we were able to have dinner together, share life together, pray for each other, and, and, uh, and we were talking about the, the various different psalms. And we, we, I, I told him I would quote him, and he, and he just said, you know, I, I never recognized and realized if you go back to Psalm 3, we serve a curb-stomping God. That's a... Now, if you, you never lived on the streets or never don't understand gain language, it, 
careful if you look up what a curb stomp means, but break the teeth of the wicked. When you think about that picture of God, man, he's a, he's a God that is full of perfect love and perfect wrath, perfect justice all at the same time. And without one, you don't have the other. And we in the church, especially in America, have loved to water that down. He's such a God of love. He is. There is no love if there is no wrath. And there would be no wrath if there was no love. So you put both of those together, man, it's a, it's a crazy, awesome picture of a very holy God. But he's a curb-stomping God who, when you look at psalms that are called imprecatory psalms, such as this, when the psalmist cries out and says, God, would you please cut off their flattering lips? That's a violent picture. Cut out the tongue that makes great boasts. I'm sure that you and I, at varying different levels for varying different reasons, have come to the Lord in our times of prayer, trusting that at one point and at one time, wicked people will get what is due to them. In the midst of um, David's lament, in the midst of him crying out in prayer and agony in this psalm. He's, he's lamenting the horror of the wickedness and all this evil that he sees around him, right? But in the midst of all that, there is this shining little moment. The shining moment where he finds hope in the Lord. You look at verse 5, right? In verse 5 he says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Even though uh, there's a wicked generation that is surrounding David, that they are using their words to inflict evil, even though that's what David is seeing all around him, David trusts that the word of the Lord is true, right? That the word of the Lord, he trusts God who promises that complete justice is going to have the final word in the final chapter. He knows that. David hasn't, um, he's not living his life with blinders on, thinking that, oh, all that bad stuff was a long time ago. Today's no, not that bad anymore. We're doing pretty good as a nation. He doesn't believe that. He knows that deep down, underneath it all, sin is still prevailing for a season. And that ultimately, Justice will prevail because God is the God of justice. David isn't messing around here, right? He's not, David's not giving a lip service to this book that he just reads every once in a while. You might remember that David also wrote Psalm 119, the largest chapter in the Bible centered around God's Word. Um, also centered around um, and written in an alliterative form uh, in the Hebrew um, alphabet. So Psalm 119, catch this. Some of you heard me say this. Psalm 119 is the A to Z of God's Word, about God's Word, centered on God's Word, in God's Word. It's also the center of the Bible, okay, in the Hebrew alphabet. So center a to Z. Now go to the New Testament and you see Jesus saying, um, you find out about Jesus that he is the what? The Alpha and the Omega. That's the A and the Z of the Greek alphabet. Follow me? 
So you got A to Z in the Old Testament in Psalm 119. David wrote it. In the New Testament, you've got Jesus, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the center of the A to Z in the Greek. And you also find that God says uh, that man cannot live by mere physical bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Follow me? And then John tells us in uh, the Gospel of John that Jesus is what? He's the Word. The Word become flesh. So on Jesus we feed. On the Word we feed. And in this psalm, in chapter 12, all of David's hope resting on the trustworthiness and the perfection of God's Word. Now there are many today who would like to say that God's Word is not trustworthy. That God's Word is not pure. That God's Word is not what it actually says it is. That God's Word is not God's Word. There are many today, even in our own community, pastors who stand in the pulpit and preach that God's not the God of the Old Testament. There are many, many today in the church, quote-unquote church, who have cast out the perfection of God's Word. But it's loud and clear in verses 67. Look at it. David says what? He says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. And then he compounds it. The Psalms are always good at starting with one thought, and then adding another thought, and then adding another thought to get the whole thought across. Right? The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. You know what that means? Purified seven times. Seven times is the word for, the picture for perfection. The idea that it's been purified seven times, the idea one commentator used the illustration of taking um, lead bullets that have been shot at a range, gathering all of them up, all those shot bullets who are laying on the ground, and the actual lead, right, not the shells, just so you're tracking with me, okay? I'm talking about taking all that lead and then melting it down, and as you melt it down over a fire, the dirty pieces come out, um, but to get back to pure lead, you would need to do it multiple times, not just one time before you turn it back into bullets again. So the idea behind um, God's Word being purified seven times is utter, complete perfection. There's nothing wrong with God's Word, David says. It's pure. It's trustworthy. It's inerrant is a word that many scholars would use. We would use that in our statement of faith and doctrine as well. We trust in God's Word. Purified seven times. He moves on. He says, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation uh, forever. I get the sense as I read this psalm that um, David really, um, he's not a man um, who is afraid to speak realistically. Uh, he's not, not flattering, obviously. He's going to speak realistically about the world that we live in. David's not afraid to lament. Lament the horrors of evil and wickedness. He's not afraid of speaking about the pain. Not afraid of speaking about the loss. Not afraid of speaking about the loneliness that comes with living in a sin-soaked society. We, we don't live in heaven. This is not heaven yet. We know that. Here's the thing. Lament, when you think about the biblical term of lament, lament is not the same as complaining. And oftentimes we get the two confused. We live with a complaining attitude rather than a lament attitude. Lament is not the same as complain, and it's also not the same as nostalgia. So you think about complaining about the present, 
or nostalgia, wishing that things could just go back to the way they used to be. Like somehow the way things used to be, that was heaven, right? David's not complaining about how bad the world is. David is also not wishing that things would go back to the way that they used to be in the good old days. David is lamenting this, so catch this. And this is a, this is a biblical theme all the way through from, from the garden to the end. David is lamenting the fact that this world is not what it was designed to be. You and I are not what we were designed to be. Broken with sin is what has happened to our world. And as David laments the brokenness of this world, what does he do? I mean, have you found yourself lamenting that fact? That things are not as they were designed to be? That things are not the way that you wish they would be? A lot of times those desires, those longings, those good desires, good longings deep inside of us, for no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death. Those longings inside of us, those are an inkling of the, of the, of the design that we were designed for. And so God's Spirit will cause us to lament that it's not the way that it should be. As he does that, as he laments the brokenness of this world, what does he do? He, he trusts. So lament and trust are major themes here. He laments and he trusts in the faithful perfection of God's promises. See, David knows that whatever uh, chapter of life that he's living in, and whatever chapter of life you're living in right now, that the final chapter has not yet been finished. Question. What chapter of life are you in right now? You think about it. What chapter of life are you in right now? What word would you use to describe the chapter of life that you're in? Write that word down. Let the Spirit draw that to you. Just put it in your phone. Stick it on your device. Make a note. Mental image. What's the picture? What's the word that describes, defines, and images chapter of life that you're in right now. Many of us are experiencing the first six months of this year in profoundly different ways. Most of us, uh, there are a few who I think have blinders on, in, uh, not, not necessarily in our church, but I think most of us across our nation are experiencing the horrors of social injustice in ways that um, make us absolutely sick to our stomachs. I think most of us have probably had it up to here with the uh, polarizing deception of the political world that we live in, political environment. I think that uh, many of us, not all, but many of us have probably faced great fear because of all of the vastly differing narratives surrounding this Deadly or maybe not so deadly, depending upon what you think. Uh, virus that seems to be worldwide, but maybe not so worldwide. Who knows, right? Or who really knows? <laughs> There's a lot of people with a lot of numbers and letters after their names that all seem to have different opinions. So who really knows? Tell me. I think God knows. 
hard to be discerning in amongst a lot of this. Lots of experts today. Well, those stories change every week, don't they? <laughs> Daily. I, I don't know. Um, some of us are struggling under the weight of the loss of a close friend. The loss of a family member who turned out to be a traitor. Some of us uh, struggling daily. Um, devastation of secret addictions that just ravage your soul. Or some of us who are barely keeping it together as you try to find your way through the darkness of the pain of the loss of a loved one to death or disease. So I don't know what chapter of life you're in right now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of darkness seems to be closing in around you as we speak. Don't know what flood you feel like you're drowning in. Don't know what wickedness you fight every day. But as I conclude this, I do want to say this. I do know that the last chapter of your life has not yet unfolded. It's not yet unfolded. You can trust that when the last chapter of your life does indeed unfold, if you have placed your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then, then the final chapter that does unfold in your life, in that final chapter, you will stand completely victorious. If that's what you have to look forward to in the final chapter if you have trusted in Jesus. You see, when David reminds us that because the poor are plundered, that because the needy groan, I will arise. That's a powerful promise to trust in. When he says that the Lord will be the one who will place us in the safety for which we long. The thing that we desire the most. When, when he's saying that, he was reminding us that God gets the final word. And he gets the final word through the cross and the empty tomb and the promised return of Jesus for his people. That's what we look forward to. That's what we find hope in. We don't find hope in anything in this world. We are aliens and strangers in this world, surrounded by things that are not as they should be. So we trust in Jesus. We trust that His cross and His empty tomb and the promise of heaven is enough. You see, the cross of Christ reminds us of our ultimate salvation from the penalty of sin. The empty tomb of Jesus reminds us of our ultimate victory over Satan. I mean, are you guys bored today with God's Word? I, I look out and I don't see excitement about the truth. I don't see excitement about the Gospel. Are you alive this morning? Can I hear you? Does the cross excite you? It, it does. Really? Are, are you sure? Are you positive? The cross excites you? Really? If this was a Husker football team game, it'd probably sound a whole lot different, wouldn't it? I'm telling you. Come on. The cross. We find our ultimate victory there, our salvation over the penalty of sin. When was the last time that you saw yourself as evil and as broken and as poor as this text says we are? 
Jesus went to the cross for you and I so that we might be saved from that penalty. The empty tomb of Jesus reminds us of our ultimate victory over Satan. Satan's sin in the grave. They've got nothing on you. They're not writing things in your chapter. You know who's writing your chapter if you trust in Jesus? God is writing your chapter. The Spirit is the one who is writing the chapter of faith on your heart. Hello, people. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay. Well, the promised return of Jesus to take us home to be with our Father. What does that remind you of when you think of heaven? When Paul says, hey, get your eyes off of things that are happening here on this earth and get your eyes up on heaven. Don't be consumed with all the brokenness and the darkness that you see in this life. Walk in the joy and the victory of the resurrection and the promise of the hope of heaven. That's what you and I long for the most. Nothing here on earth will suffice that. Nothing can take its place, but you know what we want to do. We want to eat substitutes, don't we? I mean, heaven is the only real hope giver for us. See, in this life, we will face trials and tribulations. We will face temptation. We're going to face failure and hurt and heartache and pain and and loss and fear and abandonment. We're going to face rejection and, and wickedness and evil. But listen, the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Whatever chapter of life you're in right now, my invitation to you, I believe the Spirit's invitation to you this morning is to invite you to find hope, to invite you to find rest, to invite you to find healing Where? In the faithful, pure promises of the Lord. Man, I want to invite you to find healing, find wholeness at the foot of a bloody cross, in the doorway of an empty tomb, as you hold on to the promise of this. No more sickness. No more pain. No more sin. No more tears with your Father in heaven. And I want to close with this. I have a few people that are very close to me, relatives. I have uh, been loving and investing and praying for for years. A couple of them, 20 years. Another one, 15. Desiring that they would follow the Lord, that they would not get caught up in that darkness of this life. And yet I've watched in horror and I've experienced with great pain as I've watched them walk off their roadmap, Wanting to love them, wanting to share the gospel with them, fearing that they may never walk with Jesus. Spent nights in tears begging God to make a change in their lives. You know somebody that you love dearly that way, don't you? I mean, you may be that person here today that someone has loved dearly and you've walked off your roadmap. You've gotten caught up in the deception and the darkness of this life. And you have a fake mask on. You've been pretending. You lead a double life. And yet the Spirit of God placed you here today to hear this message to remind you that His Word is pure and He's the one who saves. And the reality is this. Wherever you're at and wherever they're at today, the last chapter has been written but it has yet to unfold. Thank the Lord for that.
pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask, Lord God, that you would use it in our closing moments here. Um, draw us to you. Help us to find healing and hope in you. Help us to be crushed, humiliated, and encouraged simultaneously, rebuked even at the same time, in the work of your son at the cross. I trust you do that work. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.